Romans chapter 8. The text that I keep thinking about as we turn our Bibles to Romans 8 is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. If the Holy Spirit describes the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have because of Him as unspeakable, to try to speak about it is intimidating, fearful, and I hate to hurt and harm such a glorious subject as our adoption by opening my mouth about it. But since He's told me to do so, and since it's here in Romans 8, we shall do our best. And I don't care how long we stay in these 25 verses. I, I simply don't care. You say, but I love Romans 9. Why? Romans 9 has election in it. The only reason we care about Romans 9 and its election is because it gets us to Romans 8, 15 through 39. Romans 10 and 11, the Jews, I don't care about the Jews. We don't have any Jews in our church like they had in the church at Rome. We're Gentiles. And I'm thankful that Romans 8, 15 through 39 is for this Gentile. You say Romans 12, being a living sacrifice for him. Yes, I want to be that for him. But I want to learn these 25 verses so it motivates me by setting forth a hope before me that I will rejoice in the ease of Romans 12. No wonder the apostle would call it in Romans 12 our reasonable service. Because after Romans 8, 15 through 39, those 25 verses, it is a reasonable service to give our bodies a living sacrifice for Him, knowing that He's going to redeem our bodies from the power of the grave, that the final phase of adoption is yet to come, that He's going to manifest us to the universe and declare that we are His, and He is ours, as we just sang. Does He whisper to you? Does He whisper in your ear? Those words are speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is what we have right here in Romans chapter 8. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. This is the greatest facet of our salvation. This goes beyond the others. The others are like the foundation for a beautiful building. This is the capstone. This is the beautiful lobby with the glorious marble that's laid on the floor or maybe the walls and the bright lights and the fancy leather furniture of a building. The justification is the foundation that goes down into the earth and plants itself upon the rock Christ Jesus and provides us the righteousness on which the building can be built. For without the justification of Jesus Christ, we couldn't be adopted by God. We're not fit to be His children. We have legal claims against us. Justification took them all away, but that was all serving one end. That God could have a family in eternity that would sing His praises forever, and that He could glorify how much He is capable of love by loving His wicked human enemies and making them His sons for eternity. When men in this world adopt, it is because they have no children. Because they have no children and they want a child, they go get a child. The child they go get has been rejected by others. That's why it's available. 
or the child they go get rejected its parents. And that's what they go get. But our God in heaven, he had a child. He had a son. He had an only begotten son that pleased him well in all things in whom he was well pleased. He gave up that son to have you. How do I tell you about it? It's unspeakable. Right. If the world knew a little bit, the presses would be running hot. WikiLeaks would be here because they'd want to leak something through their wiki. And they'd want to leak the fact that we are the children of God. That's right. Unbelievable. What God? Are we the children of Allah so that we get some palm trees and virgins in heaven? Or are we the children of the living God? The living and true God, the Lord Jehovah. Praise His name. Romans 8, 15 through 39. Lord, show us Your glory. Show us our hope. Show us our Savior. Show us that we are the sons of God. Let the Spirit of God witness to us from His Word. Let Him witness in our hearts. Let us together rejoice that we are the sons of God. I read to you verses 15 through 17. Romans 8:15 For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children then heirs Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Amen. Of course we could read further, but we'll be thankful if we can make this progress. And brethren, I'm so confused in my mind right now as to how to approach this in a certain respect. We may come back and start all over again next Sunday with Romans 8.15. There's too much here. I want to cover the verses so that you understand what the Apostle has written to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But there are so many little points to consider in what adoption really is that it's hard to cover that in one Sunday, even if we spend both assemblies on it. The Apostle is teaching us in Romans 8, in a larger sense, about the Holy Spirit. We have had very little mention of the Holy Spirit through chapter 7. One reference... Verse 5 of chapter 5, and we're going to look at it again today. But in this 8th chapter, we have the Spirit mentioned in the first verse, and the Spirit runs all the way through the 27th verse, and there's a great deal of emphasis on the Holy Spirit of God. The first 14 verses which we covered is the Spirit's ministry and power in us to help us walk spiritually, to mortify the deeds of the flesh so that we can show that there is therefore now no condemnation on us, that we are the Lord's, that we are the redeemed of the Lord, that we are saved people. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do so. And it is a choice we make every day by His strength and His power to live a holy life. We had that, the Holy Spirit's been mentioned in verse 1, 2, 4, 5, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, by name, in your Bibles. Because that has been the emphasis. 
Now at verse 14, I've been asked, why did you draw a division between 14 and 15? Because in verses 1 through 14, that Holy Spirit is primarily being presented as the source of strength in a believer's life for the evidence of salvation. And at 15, there's a change in that Holy Spirit's ministry, and it's the internal witness, not the external evidence of giving us the strength to mortify the flesh and to mind spiritual things, but it's the internal witness telling us, you're God's sons, you're God's children, and telling it to my spirit. Verse 16. And it's going to go on to tell us about blessings that we have presently and in the future by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the will of God and prays for us according to the will of God. Verses 26 and 27. And prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So when this guy is thinking he is facing something unspeakable, there is the Spirit of the living God that does some speaking for him. When you're praying and you just can't get words to come, but you're grieved in your heart about a matter, and you're grieved in your mind about a matter, that you know it's important, but you don't know how to phrase your prayer, and you've lost the power for prayer, but you're on your knees, or you're driving in your car and you're seeking to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. These are blessings that we have as a result of our salvation by the Holy Spirit of God. Overall, Romans 8 is a great deal of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. But between verses 14 and 15, in those first 14 verses, it was the proof that we're Christ. Because if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. I taught you that last Sunday from the 13th verse. But now it's a shift. The Holy Spirit has another ministry, not just strengthening us to deny the flesh, but speaking to us, teaching us, witnessing to us, comforting us. Do you want a comforter? How about an infinite comforter? How about God Himself whispering in your ear, You're mine. I'm yours. Forever. I'll take care of you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Trust me. He can give a peace that passes understanding. And it's described here in this chapter. Of the epistles of Paul, this chapter probably has more to say about the Holy Spirit than any other chapter of Paul. Now we know about John 14, 15, and 16, and all that that gospel record has to say about the Spirit. But this is Paul. And there's a lot in this chapter about the Holy Spirit of God. Because God has not just adopted us as a legal transaction at the orphanage of this sinful world. He has come Himself and abides with us. He lives with us. He lives within us by His Spirit. And He comforts us and tells us and reminds us that we are His and He is ours. That we are the sons of God. And He sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. Look at 5, five. While I keep quoting that verse, I want you to remember what we covered in 5.5. Now, you know in Romans 8 that there's some suffering and tribulation coming in these verses. Because this is the bondage of corruption living in this world. These bodies corrupt. Nothing works like it should. The lawnmower doesn't last as long as you thought it would when you bought it. Nothing works. Cars need big repair bills. Because nothing works like it should. There's a bondage of corruption everywhere. 
And so it causes us trouble. Then there's enemies that don't know who we are. So they persecute us and they trouble us. And we suffer. And persecution is listed. And there's a lot of trouble in the last half of Romans 8. But the Holy Spirit is there to take care of us all the way through it and to be reminding us at all times, you're mine and I'm yours. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 5.5 5 mentioned tribulations as well. Do you remember when we were back here? Or have you forgotten it already? I hope not. Do you remember verses 3 through 5? We glory in tribulations also. And then we learned why. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And what is hope based on? Hope maketh not ashamed. Bible hope, you're never ashamed. You were hoping for a promotion this year and you didn't get it. Now you're ashamed. You went home and told your family, I think I'm going to get promoted. You didn't get promoted. Now you're ashamed. But when God promises something, you can set your hope on it and you'll never be ashamed. And on what basis? The Holy Spirit's continual comforting of you that that hope is going to come to pass. You say, I don't know about that witness. I don't hear a voice in my ears. I don't hear one in my soul. You've quenched or grieved the Spirit of God. Look at Romans 5, 5. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. God gave the gift of His own person as present as His presence with us And His presence with us is telling us how much He loves us. He sheds it abroad. He fills my whole heart. No one else will ever be able to fill your whole heart with His love like God the Holy Spirit can. But you need to spend time in His Word and time on your knees and time singing His praise and He will shed it abroad. And it's by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. And no matter what is happening to you in the way of tribulations, you're never going to be ashamed because you know you're the child of God and you have heaven waiting for you and God loves you. What if the whole world forsakes you and ties you to a stake and burns you to ashes? What two words are you thinking right now? One starts with S and one starts with W. So what? The world takes you and chains you to a stake and burns you to ashes. So what? Is that a tribulation? Would it work some patience in you? Would it work some patience in me? I hope we would cheerfully endure praising Him and praying to Him while we were consumed to ashes. Do you know what? Our fathers in the faith did. Right. They praised Him. They forgave their persecutors. They blessed Him. They thanked the Lord for the opportunity to get to Him sooner. Amen. You need to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You'll never be ashamed because the Holy Spirit is talking to you. You're the Son of God. We love you. We'll never forsake you. You said you used the plural pronoun. Yeah, haven't you read your Bibles? You've been in Genesis, right? Genesis 1, 2, and 3, yes. The triune God loves us. He's adopted us. We are the sons of Jehovah. Okay, back to Romans 8. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul just stuck that one verse in there, and then he gives us Romans 8, explaining it in a much fuller sense. So here we are, Romans 8, 15. And we came down through verse 14, and we were looking at the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is justification by Christ Jesus removing all guilt and condemnation 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then for 14 verses, Paul explained that the Spirit of God is within us, and if He's not, we're not even elect. We're not even gods or Christ. And being in us, He gives us the power to mortify this flesh, put it to death, is what that word means, and to live for Him. But as we came to verse 14, it said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And right there in that last clause of that 14th verse, we had one incredible subject introduced. There's been no Son of God in this epistle except the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been no sons of God in this epistle except the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul throws in this verse, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, which he has described, in following the leading of the Spirit of God to mind heavenly things and spiritual things instead of earthly things, He says, they are the sons of God. And we have introduced a subject that he then begins to deal with in a more positive way by describing that Spirit's witness to our spirit. What a subject he introduced with the words, the sons of God. What God? The creator of heaven and earth. The Lord Jehovah. I am that I am. Independent. Eternal. Immortal. Invisible, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Everything you can imagine and think and read about the Lord Jehovah. He is our Father. He is our Father by the, by a priceless sacrifice to purchase us and to make it binding upon all parties. No one can claim us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Do you think there's any legal claims left? from the orphanage, when he takes you out of it? Do you think the devil can come and lay anything to your charge? The accuser of the brethren? The what? The accuser of the... has been cast down. For there's nothing he can bring to our charge. The Lord Jehovah is our Father. And we have the Spirit of God within us, which means we've been born again. When you were born the first time, someone else became your father. Someone else's. You had an earthly father, and the devil was your father. By your natural birth, you were a child of of the devil, John 8, 44. You were a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. Just like everyone else, by your first birth. But we've been born again. When it says born again, look at the family relationship that it's describing. Look at the filial relationship of us to God. That means as a child. That means as a son. By being born, we're the sons of God. He's given us power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, not your first birth, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not your old nature that invites God to be your father. It's your new nature that thanks God for being your father. And what a difference. And that's the difference of our gospel. And it's not the will of man. It's not God, parents. Don't, doesn't the devil come up with a lot of interesting things to make God your parent? God, parents. They bring you in. A priest stuffs salt in your mouth. Chases the devil out the side door. Goes through another 150 traditions that they've added to the word of God. Forget added to the Word of God. Replace the Word of God with their 150 traditions. And they become your godparent and you're baptized as an infant. And you're supposedly made a child of God. 
Oh, Lord, thank you for the truth. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. He just introduced that theme for us in the last words of verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, Paul is a Paul is the greatest transitional writer you've ever encountered. Do you remember when you were in English class, you would write a paragraph covering a theme, and you'd write another paragraph covering a theme, and you were supposed to come up with a transition in there as you closed out one paragraph and introduced a new one? Paul is the master. Right. And see, he introduced something that he needs to deal with, and we want him to deal with it, and it's called the sons of God. What did your earthly father do for you? I love my earthly father. He's not very rich. He's not very strong, especially this morning. He's sick in bed with the flu. He's not going to last very long. I love him dearly, and I'm saying nothing disrespectful about him. But there's another father. That's right. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. Amen. And you could offer 10,000 rivers of oil and all the oxen of the, of the fields, but he wouldn't ask you if he was hungry. Because he owns it all. I think I heard that recently. I have a brother in here who tries to outdo me on how far down in the dungeon called the orphanage of this world did God have to descend to find us. It's Brother Jerry. I say he had to go deeper for me. Jerry says the Lord had to go deeper for him. He was chained up in the basement, foaming like the Gadarene, strapped down, His nails were grown out like eagle's claws. And you know what? We want to think of ourselves that way. How in the world did the holy God of heaven stoop down to us and come after us to adopt us? He introduced all that in the last clause of verse 14, and now he explains some things about it in verse 15. Brother Jerry, I love those times we've had in my office. They don't happen as much anymore. Because you're married. But let's all think that way. And mother, Jerry's mother, I remember a birthday present he tried to give you one night when he tried to tell you about God rescuing him and going down deep into that orphanage to find him. And that's how we all ought to think about it. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, that's a little S. And the second half of that verse, it's a big S. Do we make our decisions based on big S's and little S's in the Bible? Big W's and little W's in the Bible? For the Word of God? Big S's and little S's for the Son of God? If we do, then Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the fiery furnace, didn't he? And if we do, then Isaiah 7.14 of what was going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 9, 6, that's going to be called the mighty God. That wasn't deity because it's a small s. Don't you ever make a decision by the capitals of names for deity in a King James Bible. Because in 1611, rules for capitalizing names of deity were not formalized. And I love our translators for this reason. They did it any which way they felt like at the moment so that they would not force a tra- an interpretation on the translation. I love the fact that Hebrews 4.12 has a small w. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Right. I love that. Don't, can't you see the hang, hangman's noose 
because it's a small W, they love to get their neck in that verse and say, slap the horses. Don't go by the small S or the big S. The Spirit of God under the Old Testament bore a ministry of bondage and fear. Ask Moses what he thought when he had a preaching service from God himself on Mount Sinai. It's described in Hebrews chapter 12, I exceedingly fear and quake. The people said, don't speak to us any longer. Now how does that sound like a warm worship service? That was the ministry of God under the Old Testament. It was a ministry of bondage. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and read about the Old Covenant compared to the New. It was one of bondage. Go to Galatians. You read about it in Galatians 4, didn't you? It was bondage and fear. Go to the book of Hebrews. It was bondage. That Old Testament, it was a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Unless you're in bondage and you're afraid of something, why would you need a Savior? So the Old Testament, this is the ministry of the Spirit of God, and it left a small s spirit in every one of God's elect of being troubled that their sins were not taken away because Hebrews 10 tells us plainly that those Old Testament sacrifices could never make the comers thereunto perfect as regarding their conscience because they were still in bondage to their sins, knowing that next year they would have to offer the same sacrifices that could never take away sin. Ye have not received this Spirit of God that He has described in the first 14 verses that is within us, which shows that we are Christ, is not the Spirit and the ministry that existed under the Old Testament. Do you remember from John seven thirty nine that we looked at last Lord's Day that Jesus said, Out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake He of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. There was a change. When we talk about the time of Reformation from 30 A.D. of John the Baptist bursting on the scene to 70 A.D. and the destruction of temple worship in Jerusalem, there were some big changes. The changes were so big that we can describe them as the sun no longer shining, the moon falling from heaven, the stars not giving their light, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Total upheaval religiously. You have not received that spirit of bondage again to fear. Look at Hebrews 2.15 about this. I, I just referred to a whole list of scriptures, and I hope you were listening. I want you to know what that first clause means. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. There's a word there, again, to fear, again. Remember, this church has got a bunch of Jews in it. And the Gentiles were mostly Jewish proselytes. Again, that Old Testament spirit, I mean, you went, do you know what books you got to hear read to you? Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, and Genesis. You got to hear 718 commandments laid on you. And if you weren't keeping them, you knew that the animal sacrifices were going to have to be done over and over because they weren't going to take away your sins. Because God had no pleasure in animal sacrifices for any legal value in his sight. And you knew that. Your conscience was never free. Hebrews 10 tells us that very plainly. But we don't have that kind of a spirit in us. See, Paul is transitioning from the Spirit of God being the power in us to mind spiritual things to the comforting, warming, blessing presence of God in us, telling us that we're His sons, 
that He loves us, helping us pray, praying for us according to the will of God and with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's a better blessing Amen. of the Holy Spirit. And it's, refer, it's, it's based on our sonship. But right now we want to deal with the words bondage and fear. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. As Paul wrote to Hebrews who had been under bondage and fear their whole lifetimes. Verse 14. For as much then as the children. What children? The children of God. What children of God? The children of God in the Old Testament, particularly in this context, but all of us. Because see, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking in prophecy in verse 13, and I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Those are you and me as the children of God and the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them brethren in verse 11. And do you know that he's not ashamed to call you brother? Should we ever be ashamed to call Jesus our brother? In public, should we ever be ashamed of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the high king of heaven. He's the ruler of this universe. He is the blessed and only potentate king of kings and lord of lords. We should never be ashamed of him. Ever. When those charismatics are yapping about their Jesus, they are talking about another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Don't let that hinder you from never being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's not ashamed of us because verse 11 tells us that he's not, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now there's a Jewish subjection to bondage of the Old Testament through fear of death, wanting peace with God and your conscience never being satisfied that you had peace with God by animal sacrifices. There is another sense. The fear of death. And this is not the main sense. I just gave you the main sense of Hebrews chapter 2. And it's the one that agrees with everything else in the New Testament, especially when we have a book entitled Hebrews, writing to Jews. But there's another sense. False religion is able to gain control over people and take advantage of them through their fear of death. And and is able to put them in bondage through fear of death. When you visit a Roman Catholic church and you watch someone thumbing the beads and praying the rosary, or you see them buying candles and lighting candles in a little alcove off to one of the sides, those people are in bondage. Those widow women are in there praying their rosaries because they're trying to get their husband sprung from purgatory into heaven. They're buying candles and they're building these massive, beautiful, ornate cathedrals in cities around the world that can't even afford proper houses for their people because through the fear of death, they're brought into religious bondage to false teachers. Jesus Christ frees us from that. You know, our mother Joy hasn't had to buy any candles recently. Well, unless she just wanted some nice smelling scent at home. But she didn't have to do that. We've been delivered. That's... Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That Old Testament revelation of God 
the great and dreadful God and all of His commandments, we have a new ministry. Romans 8.15 But ye have received the spirit of adoption. Now does that sound different to you from bondage and fear? The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We don't cry, dreadful judge, Lord of all. We cry, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit has a different ministry to us now under the New Testament than he had under the Old Testament. And that was the change that took place that Jesus said would happen when he was glorified. God would give his spirit. And the spirit had operated in the world. Spirit would come on Samson. Spirit would come on Phinehas. Spirit would come on Othniel. Spirit would come on Gideon. Spirit would come on Jephthah temporarily. Give them power. Give them a prophecy. Help David compose scripture. But wasn't there permanently as a comforting ministry like we have. The only way that the Spirit of God is dulled in your life is by your sins. And then He's grieved and He's quenched. His promises still stand as truly as they were ever made. But your confidence in those promises wanes greatly as you grieve and quench His internal witness to you. But this is the new witness of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of adoption. Not the Spirit of bondage. Not the Spirit of fear. What did Paul tell Timothy? God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Go preach, Timothy. Go preach. Don't be afraid. God's given us all that we need to do the job that he's called us to. The spirit of adoption. Oh, he introduces this wonderful subject. We're the sons of God and he's given us an earnest and a seal upon our souls that I taught you about last Lord's Day. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is only one place in the Bible, but it says that the Holy Spirit is given to those that believe as an earnest. That is a guarantee of future performance. That is a performance bond. That is more than a down payment. It's a certainty that he is going to perform what he has said, and God didn't give 3% of a real estate transaction. God gave himself as his earnest. And it's the seal of our sonship that we are the Lord's. He has put his divine stamp upon us. That they are mine. And I am theirs. Because the Holy Spirit, the presence of God Himself, God Himself is in us. We have received the spirit of adoption. Now, my brethren, adoption is the greatest facet of salvation revealed by the gospel of God's glorious grace. I've described it, I've tried to describe it to you as a building where justification, redemption, they're the foundation. They're going down and reaching the rock, Christ Jesus. But the beautiful edifice that meets the eye, that brings forth our wonders of awe, are not as much justification as they are adoption. I would rather be adopted than justified, but i got to be justified to be adopted. One requires the other, but the other doesn't require adoption. Justification doesn't require adoption. Adoption requires justification. Justification is a means to the end of adoption as the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love. Speaking of adoption in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. This is the most stupendous mystery of the universe revealed in the gospel. Have you read 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 through 16? But we speak wisdom to them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. For if the princes of this world had knew... The Lord of glory, they wouldn't have crucified him. But we speak the hidden wisdom. 
even the wisdom of God in a mystery. And this is one of those great mysteries. This is something you cannot learn anywhere else. The Lord Jehovah created the heavens and the earth, and He has adopted us as His children from a sinful, condemned, and guilty race. Through the sacrifice of His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom He chose from the people and sent to die for us, and He has left the rest where they chose to be, where we chose to be, the children of the devil, consigned to eternal wrath. What a glorious subject. Adoption. Other religions can have their esoteric mysteries for their sages, but they cannot compare to Christianity. Are you going to exalt reincarnation? You get to come back as something else so you can die again and again and again and again. Aren't they smart? What a great religion. Sounds like a religion of death to me. I wonder who invented that one. Could it be? Would it be? The devil himself? The Hindu religion? Reincarnation. So that you get to die again. You get to come back as a grasshopper and get burned up in a grass fire. You get to come back as a chicken and be made soup for your sick grandma. On and on they go. Listen, it's called the hidden wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. We have the mind of Christ. The Spirit reveals to us the things of God. There is only one Spirit in this room that's visible. Got to be careful here so that you don't correct my theology. There's only one spirit in this room that fully knows you. Who is it? That's visible. I mean, through your body. It's your spirit. No one else can really know your hopes, dreams, fears, love, hatred, disappointments, troubles, discouragements. No one else can really know those except the spirit of man which is in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, no man knoweth the things of the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God plumbs all the things of God and knows the will of God. Right. Yea, the Bible tells us, yea, the Spirit searches the deep things of God and reveals them to us. Right here. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he is judged of no man. For who hath been the the counselor of the Lord, and who hath instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ. I I don't know what I just quoted to you. I don't know it in this sense. How in the world can we have the spirit of the living God in us, revealing to us the deep things of God? It's hidden from the world. What we are talking about right now is the spirit of adoption, testifying to our souls that the Lord Jehovah is in heaven and we are his children. And this passage is going to go on further and tell us that we shall spend eternity with him and inherit everything that he owns. We have received the spirit of adoption. You know, the American Indians fantasized about a happy hunting ground with unlimited buffalo and a squaw that had teeth. You know, squaws, when they chewed all your hides, they didn't have good processing equipment back then. But after your squaw chewed all your hides to make you those tender little moccasins you wore around, she didn't have any teeth left. Listen, Muslims, Muslims will strap a bomb to their belly or their children's belly 
or their wife's belly and send them into a restaurant somewhere in the Middle East to blow themselves to smithereens in the hope that they might be able to get a palm tree to shade them from that terrible sun and maybe have a virgin or two or 72. That's the best they have to offer. You know what we have to offer? The true and living God of heaven, Jehovah himself, has adopted us as his sons. Amen. Unbelievable. Right. It's the spirit of adoption. And brethren, if you're walking with the Spirit of God, you have that witness inside you testifying to your spirit. I, I recommend to you that you go and find a sermon on our website entitled The Facets of Salvation, which deals with all the different terms the Bible uses to describe our salvation. God as our Father is wonderful. Does He know how to give good gifts? Does he know how to give good gifts a whole lot better than we know how to give good gifts, even if we were the per- most perfect father on earth? Does the Lord pity them that fear him? Amen. Do you wish sometimes that your father had pitied you more? I didn't ask any of my children. Psalm 103 and verse 13. The Lord pitieth them. Wonderful. He's my father. He remembers my frame. He knows exactly what I am capable of and what I am not capable of. Wonderful. He chastens me because he delights in me. Proverbs 3.12. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord chastens. He's infinite in wealth. He's infinite in wisdom. If I ever have a dilemma, ever have a question, all I have to do is turn it over to him. He gives me a piece about it, then he gives me the answer. How many times does he give me an answer? Sometimes in the night, sometimes in the day, sometimes from his word, sometimes just boom, right inside. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God himself. Oh, brethren, we are blessed. And by that Holy Spirit, he causes us to cry out from our hearts, Abba, Father. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us power in conjunction with our new man. So that it can say in verse 13, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now that's something you're doing, but you're doing it through the Spirit because it takes both of you together to be able to mortify your flesh. God the Holy Spirit is in you as a Son of God, helping you do that. That's in verse 13, but in verse 15, the Holy Spirit of God is inside your heart, trying to tell your trembling little heart that's beating as fast as a bird that's in human hands and scared for its life, that you're my son. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you. I will see you into heaven. I love you. And he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. That's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit does in that 15th verse, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba. It's an Aramaic, Chaldean, Hebrew, or Syrian transliterated word. That word there isn't translated. It's transliterated. They simply took the word, the, le- the letters of another language and brought it into English. Just like it was in the Greek New Testaments. In the Greek New Testaments, there's a Chaldean word, Greek word. In our English Bibles, Chaldean word. English word. The Chaldean word means the same thing as the English word. Father. Abba, Father. You're just saying it in Chaldean. The Jews, when they came back from Babylon, had picked up some words, and they would double those words into compound statements to describe something with greater emphasis. I am not going to tell you some sweet little sappy story about what Abba might mean, because nobody knows what it means except Father. Because that's what it means. It's just in another language. 
Father. And I'm sorry if in the past I have ever misled you by trying to tell you something that the Bible doesn't support, nor anything else support, except the imaginations of men. All it is is a compound expression to show emphasis of affection, relationship, and trust. When we want to describe a child needing its mother, how do we sometimes say it? The child comes running to its mother crying, Mommy, Mommy! Second Kings chapter 4, when the little boy fell in the field, he ran to his father and said, My head, my head! When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, he said, My God, my God! We don't need to get creative and foolish when we have the same word. My God, my God is one of emphasis and one of trust and one of dependence. In the Garden of Gethsemane, look what he said. Look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I just want us to be honest with the Scriptures. I love Abba Father for the fact that it is a compound stating that God is our Father in two languages. Because He is our Father. And that's the spirit of adoption witnessing within us that He is our Father so much we, we can refer to Him twice as our Father in two languages. Mark chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane. And He is praying in verse 36, and He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto Thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, by the same Spirit, that called the Spirit of Christ, calling upon God in two languages in a compound form to show emphasis. Praise God. In case you were wondering if you're really a son of God, and God is really your Father, God gave it to you by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in two languages in a compound of two names. Abba, Father. He is twice your Father. Quit worrying about it. Abba, Father. Paul would use the same combination term in Galatians chapter 4, which you read last night, I hope. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of into, into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There are other combinations like that in the Bible. O oh God, my God. Slight variation there by David. Right. My God, my God. The way Jesus called upon his Father when he was on the cross. And so here we have a spirit of adoption within us in multiple languages. <laughs> multiple languages, compounded, doubled, repeated. He is our Father. Instead of a spirit teaching us the bondage of Moses' law, we have the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus that has resulted in our adoption by God as his sons. Right. And that spirit testifies to our spirit as the 16th verse tells us, Abba, Father. God is your Father. You are his children. He has sent his Son to die for you. He loves you. He loves you. And he fills your heart with that love. If we do not have 
that ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is our fault, not God's. It is not a shortness on His part. When the Bible says, my arm is not shortened that it cannot save, my ear is not stopped up that it cannot hear, it is your sins and your iniquities that have shortened my arm and stopped up my ear so that I will not hear. And the Spirit of God will not testify to your spirit in the fullness of what He is able to do. He is able to fill you with all the fullness of God by His divine strength. But the reason He doesn't is your sins. If you're in love with the world and flirting with the world and being a friend of the world, then you're the enemy of God. As the enemy of God, He will not do that for you. So your Christianity is a lean Christianity. As the Bible describes in Psalm 106, 30 and 31, no, it's not that, not those two verses. The Bible describes God giving them quail, but sent leanness into their soul. And if you are playing with the world, playing with sin, not confessing your sins, you will not prosper spiritually. God the Holy Spirit is grieved. He is offended. He is irritated. And if you push him far enough, he will become your enemy. Isaiah 63 and verse 10. And you will not know what I'm talking about, and I will not know what I'm talking about. And we will have a corporate church that would eventually not know what I am talking about, and nor would we preach it. Because we would be a carcass, and the Spirit would be withdrawn. There would be no candlestick here. We would just go through the motions. We do not want to go through the motions of Christianity. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Not only did He choose to adopt us, pay for it with the death of His own Son, give us a new nature by the Holy Spirit, He's brought the news to us of it and told us how He wants us to live to please this Father that is going to give us infinite wealth for eternity with His Son and fellowship with Him forever. We cut ourselves off by playing with the world. He hates the world. He hates every bit of the world. And if we befriend it, we're his enemies. And we lose. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is an internal ministry. The Apostle Paul was fully persuaded that what he had committed to God, he was able to keep against that day. Paul didn't have any doubts about the fact he was a child of God. None. And you shouldn't. And you should live in the full joy of the Holy Spirit, knowing that God loves you, that love should be shed abroad in your heart, it wouldn't matter what they did to you, chain me. Listen, some of those martyrs said, you don't need the chains with me. Just light the the faggots. That provides a rabbit trail, but we're not going there. Just light that wood. I'll stand there. How could they do that? Because the love of God was shed abroad in their hearts for the Holy Ghost, which was given to them. They were so full that they were gods they couldn't wait. They knew that as soon as that body was consumed to a certain point, their spirit would leave it and be with the Lord. Now you don't face anything like that in your life. What do you have? A runny nose? You have a little cold? A little respiratory flu? A little intestinal virus? Thank God in faithfulness He has afflicted you and He's chastened you because He delighteth in you. You are His child. There's nothing to ever be ashamed of. You have him, and he is yours. And he tells us that on the inside. He is able to give a peace that passes understanding. That means there's no human explanation for it. There's no real comprehension of it except, I don't care. The Lord's given me total peace about the matter. 
Now, we always submit ourselves to his will rather than peace. We don't choose God's will by the peace he gives. We get peace because we choose God's will. Jesus said, Father, Abba, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And the Spirit strengthened him for the task that was at hand, and he went to the cross for us. The Holy Spirit is able to reveal things to you. And I'll close with Ephesians chapter 1 that are the deep things of God. But listen, my brethren, if you're not walking with the Spirit, if you're not reading your Bible and feeding your soul daily, if you're not in prayer daily, if you're not confessing your sins, or if I am not walking with the Lord daily, we will not have this ministry and testimony of the Spirit of God in us. We will be bored, lean, frustrated, unhappy Christians. It is always that way. It will always be that way. He is not going to let his children be happy in a brothel. We are the sons of God. You say, well, I don't go to a brothel. If you are earthly minded and you mind earthly things, you're in a brothel. You are the enemy of God. You say, all I do is love bodily exercise more than I love church. Fine. You'll never know what I'm talking about, and you're probably not a child of God to begin with. You say, I love my family more than I love the Lord. My family is the most important thing to me. Fine. You'll never know the testimony of the Spirit of Christ in you. Because there's another family far more important than your DNA package. Your DNA package shows up just how depraved and distorted and how many birth defects your parents had. There's another father you have which is entirely different. And we must always keep this straight or we're going to lose this ministry. We're going to lose this blessing. He'll be grieved. That is offended with us and he'll be quenched. That means the fire and the strength and the heat and the light. Quench is a word describing reducing a fire, putting it out. We will lose that. Here's how important it was to Paul. You, you hear me quote Ephesians 3, and I did it earlier in this message, about being filled with all the fullness of God by the power of His Spirit in your inner man. That's verse 16 of chapter 3. 316, but that's not where I'm going. I want you to see chapter 1 and how important it is for us to fully appreciate these things by walking in the Spirit and having the Spirit reveal them to us on the inside. I am revealing some of these things on the outside to your ears, but I want them revealed on the inside to your heart. So that you'll be crying out while you drive, crying out while you're in the shower, crying out wherever you are, crying out in your bed, Abba, Father, I love you. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for adopting me. That the Holy Spirit will be powerfully doing that to you, day in, day out, day and night. Paul said that he was praying for the Ephesian saints, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice it's a small s. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What will the saints inherit and how much riches and glory will there be attached? 
so that you might know that. And it would change your life. And how do you know it? By the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. God, the Holy Spirit, has to reveal that to you. Otherwise, it's syllables and combinations of syllables and words that make up sentences coming out of my mouth. And it doesn't do the job. You hear it, but I want your hearts to have it. And your hearts will only have it if you are giving yourself the first priority in your life is to walk with God, feast on His Word, beseech Him in prayer, rejoice in singing His praise, confessing your sins, keeping His commandments, He will dwell with you, He'll dwell in you, and He will powerfully enable you to know everything that I'm preaching about at a level that I cannot reach by the Holy Spirit of God. He will teach you even the deep things of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.